Welcome to episode 67 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about negative interest rates. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as the federal income tax, gold and sound money, Walmart, the wealth tax, or social credit scores comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner, which is available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean.com. The video version of the podcasts are available on YouTube, BitChute, and Brighton.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. Finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. So let's get started with what the hell are negative interest rates? The idea is ridiculous on its face. The name itself is ludicrous. How can interest rates be negative? Interest rates represent the return on capital or the return on an investment or the return on parking your cash at a bank and not using it for a set period of time or the return for letting someone else use your money for a while. I give you some of my money for a period of time, and you give it back to me with interest at the end of the period. That's as easy as it gets. That's the way things have been for, what, 5,000 years? Who came up with this asinine, counterintuitive, backwards concept? UBS CEO Sergio Amati recently called negative interest rates an absurd situation. Bloomberg said it distorts the traditional dynamics of borrowing and lending. What it comes down to is this. Negative interest rates are supposed to, theoretically, encourage spending. After all, why park your money where they give you less back when you ask for a withdrawal? Welcome to the world in which the central bankers around the globe have staked our futures on, that being the fallacy that consumption drives economic growth. So they do everything they can to spur spending. This is what's known as Keynesian economics, the theory put forth by John Maynard Keynes in the 20th century. And just like the concepts of socialism, it's never worked. Yet its proponents simply keep coming back with more and more nuanced positions that the ignorant public and impotent politicians simply accept. Instead of reevaluating their policy positions, central bankers choose to keep the debt heroin high going in order to keep the fulfillment of the Keynesian utopia. They have utilized various methods of buzz management, from quantitative easing and asset purchases to holding rates artificially low for years on end. None of that has worked, so the last card they had to play, their Hail Mary pass, seems to be negative interest rates. As you will come to understand as this episode unfolds, the central bankers are willing to sacrifice savers and retirees and other people on fixed incomes at the altar of the bankrupt economic theory known as Keynesian economics in order for the status quo to maintain power. All these people on fixed incomes want to do is throw their nest egg the one that they have been accumulating for 40 years, into a five-year CD that pays 4 or 5% and live off the interest. But with rates held to, at to historically low levels, these people are screwed. Bob Murphy calls Keynesian economics a logical absurdity. I couldn't agree more. I mean, hell, we've held interest rates down in order to spur economic growth for how many years now? 10? 12? Has it worked? I guess it never crossed the minds of the central banker or overlords to question their policy prescriptions and consider going in a different direction, a sound direction. 
Not everyone agrees with the idea that negative interest rates are absurd. In particular, Joe Weisenthal, writing for Bloomberg, started out an article on this subject with this reasonable statement, quote, It seems crazy that anyone would voluntarily part with their money only to end up with less of it, end quote. He then goes on to argue that paying to store your money is no different than carrying costs associated with storing your cash in a piece of real estate or gold, equipment, or grain, all of which have costs associated with the maintenance and or storage. Why should the storage of cash be any different, he argues. He goes on to point out that if there is more savings requiring storage than there is demand to borrow those funds, the banks are not obligated to pay you interest. They don't need the deposits so you pay them to store your loot. That logic is not terribly difficult to follow considering all the services that commercial banks provide their depositors, a worldwide network of ATMs, debit cards, online bill pay, etc. But that's not really a negative interest rate. Those are fees for service. And his logic fails to account for the fact that commercial banks are not required to keep 100% of your money in their vaults, i.e. truly storing it. They are allowed to make loans using those funds, they are only required to store a fraction of it. That's the fractional reserve banking system. The fact that demand for loans is low does not restrict the banks from loaning out my money that they're supposed to be storing. On top of that, physical assets can appreciate in value. That property or gold coin may appreciate over time, so you may be willing to pay a storage fee or property tax or incur maintenance expenses. But your cash does not appreciate over time, so why the hell would you pay someone to store it? I give Joe an A for effort trying to sell the negative interest rate concept, but an F for persuasiveness. So let's tackle the different kinds of negative interest rates one at a time, on individuals, on bank reserves, and on bonds. So when it comes to individuals, we've already touched on this a little bit. It's pretty easy to understand. If you put 10 grand into a Bank of America savings account, and they charge a negative interest rate of 1%, and you go to withdraw it in a year, you're going to get 9900 bucks back. If you wait two years, you're going to get like 9800 three years, around 9700 You get the picture. So why the hell would any informed sane person do that? Well, the short answer is they wouldn't, which is why banks are test-driving this concept like UBS in Europe is only hitting the ultra-wealthy. Again, the idea, the Keynesian ideas, is that by charging a negative interest rate on an individual customer, by charging people to in interest to park their cash, they will in turn spend the money and spur the economy. It's so short-sighted and so economically ignorant. Anyway, very few people are going to put their money in a bank that charges them to hold their cash, especially if they are taking it in the front door and lending it out the back. It's nonsensical. So what about negative interest rates on bank reserves? So when it comes to negative interest rates on bank reserves, the central banks really have the banks by the balls. First, they force them to put a certain percentage of their cash on reserve at the central bank, and then instead of paying the banks a nominal interest rate, they force the banks to pay them to hold the reserves. You can see how incestuous this is. It's stupid. You may be asking yourself, why would the central banks do this? The answer is the same as charging individuals in a negative interest rate. To fulfill their misguided Keynesian influence objective of jump-starting the economy, which in their mind means more lending and more consumption, more buying of stuff. So by discouraging the placement of the excess cash reserves at the central bank, since they are now charging them to do so, the central banks conclude that this will lead to more lending, which will spur consumption, which was what drives the Keynesian economic theory. The problem is, without savings, we hurt retirees and we hurt long-term economic growth because economic growth requires that individuals and institutions save. 
meaning they postpone spending and consumption today. That savings then builds up at the financial institutions who are paying a positive interest rate. They, in turn, offer loans and allow those saved dollars to be tapped by the market. At least that's the way it used to work when we had a sane, economically sound group of people in charge of our monetary policy. Think about it. If the banks had great lending opportunities, they would not want to leave any excess cash sitting on reserve at the central banks where they could earn at least a nominal interest rate. So the central banks are de-incentivizing the banks to part cash with them. You know this Keynesian idea is faulty because even after over a decade of holding rates at historically low levels, there's no robust demand for loans. The demand for debt has been exhausted. Where are all the entrepreneurs who have traditionally driven the lending market? They're tapped out. People, companies, and governments are maxed out on debt that was accumulated by the central bank's decade-long manipulation of interest rates. The banking business is in crisis, and the central banks are only making it worse. So think about it this way. They have less demand for loans, and they are making less money on the loans that they do make due to the low interest rates. And on top of that, the banks are losing money because they're lending less often, while at the same time paying depositors for their deposits. What to do? They can make loans to less credit-worthy people, which means more loans going bad in the future, which screws them over then. I mean, this shit does not require a PhD in economics to figure out, yet we are being ruled by a bunch of economically ignorant or willfully negligent overlords who are divorced from reality. Let's follow the natural progression of these policies. The lack of lending kills future productivity gains. With less lending, less research and development is done, which means less innovation, less future productivity. That equates to stagnant wages because workers are no more efficient and productive in the future than they are now. Therefore, they're not worth a higher wage. Frank Hellenbeck, writing from Mises, summarizes the, the dilemma of negative interest rates nicely when he said, quote, The goal of such rates is to force banks to lend their excess reserves. The assumption is that such lending will boost aggregate demand and help struggling economies recover. Using the same central bank logic as in 2008, the solution to the debt problem is to add more debt. Yet there is an old adage, you can bring a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. With the world economy sinking into recession, few banks have creditworthy customers, and many banks are having difficulties collecting on existing loans. As with Japan, Western economies that pursue a long-term policy of low or negative interest rates can expect decades of low growth unless the unorthodox monetary policies are rapidly abandoned. End quote. So the third place that we're going to see negative interest rates is in the bond market, where we are actually seeing negative yielding bonds. There's trillions of dollars of these negative yielding bonds currently in the market. Most are European government debt, but get this, there are negative yielding corporate bonds, mainly in Switzerland and Japan. These bonds, which, if held until maturity, would pay the bondholder less than they paid for the bond originally, and offers no coupon. Remember, the reason you buy a bond is to park your cash in an interest-bearing instrument, which pays you a coupon or a dividend for the right to use the cash to fund their projects, whatever they're doing, real estate purchases, etc. Anyway, the only reason people would buy a negative-yielding bond is to sell it to a greater fool down the road. The assumption is that rates will continue to go down, which means the bond that they currently own will increase in value. Or, worst-case scenario, 
They know that the central banks, i.e. the Federal Reserve in the U.S. or the European Central Bank in Europe, will eventually buy these negative yielding bonds. Think of it this way. You buy a 30-year German government bond with a negative 1% yield, and you pay par, 1000 bucks. A year or two down the road, rates fall to negative 2%. Your $1,000 bond is now worth, say, $1,100 because the market says, well, hell, negative 1% is better than negative 2%. See, outside the alternative distorted universe that the central banks have created, this analysis goes something like this. You buy a 30-year German government bond that yields 2%, and you pay $1,000 par. A year or two down the road, rates fall to 1.5%. Your $1,000 bond is now worth, say, $1,100 because the market says 2% is better than 1.5%. And in the meantime, you get coupon or dividend payments as a reward for holding the bond. Not so with bonds with a negative interest rate. So it's an insidious process that provides yet another example of the detrimental impact of centralization and how brilliant our founding fathers were and how much of an idiot their successors have been. Instead of having millions or billions of people voluntarily trading capital and savings for interest and letting the market sort out what the rates are, we have a handful of central banks which are controlled by a handful of people making decisions for billions of people. It's outrageous. I think it's important for you to understand that part of the drive towards negative interest rates has to do with the push for the elimination of cash. You know, it's for our own good. After all, cash does facilitate criminal behavior and tax evasion. Think about it. If your bank is charging you to park your cash, what will you likely do? Withdraw the money, put it under a mattress or in a safe, or move it to a liquid investment that is not on deposit with the bank. So in order to push rates negative, government needs a cashless society. Then the central bankers can really screw us over and continue with their failed consumption-driven policy prescription. If your money is digital, there's no barrier to the government's ability to charge you a negative interest rate wherever you park your cash. Plus, it's a privacy bonanza for the government that already tracks most everything we do. Frank Hollenbach put it this way, quote, As long as there is physical cash, people will hold cash in times of uncertainty. It's a wise alternative when all other options seem unproductive or irrational. And keeping cash in a bank at a time of negative rates is, all things being equal, irrational. Central banks, not surprisingly, would like to take away the ability to hold cash outside the banking system. Worst of all, people who hold cash outside the system might be saving it instead of spending it. Naturally, from a Keynesian perspective, this must be stopped. End quote. So anyone who has taken an Econ 101 class knows what is going on is abnormal. We are punishing individuals who save their money for the future. We are punishing individual retirees who rely on parking their life savings into conservative, dividend-yielding instruments. This punishes the economy as a whole because lack of savings actually damages the economy. Where does the money come from to lend? From savers. No savers equals no lending. No lending equals no economic growth. Less research and development. Less investment and innovation. Less productivity. Economic growth is driven by investment. Investment is driven by savings. Investments drive innovation and productivity, and innovation and productivity drive future wage rates. Econ 101 also can explain the damage being done to banks as the central bankers force them to pay to park their excess reserves at the central bank. 
Econ 101, a sufficient level of economic education to consider the idea of a negative yielding bond as asinine. Econ 101 can sometimes be enough economics education, depending on the university or textbook, to help you determine that spending and consuming does not drive economic growth. And because of that realization, we can therefore conclude that the policies being pursued by most of the world's central banks does not have economic growth as its goal. What then is their goal? I would argue that at this point the goal is self-preservation, but they have so screwed things up that I think it's too late now. Central banks are trying to retain their power over their respective currencies. They are trying to prevent or delay the inevitable recession or depression, but instead they have simply blown the bubble up. They are trying to keep debt servicing levels low. Look at the levels of government and corporate debt. It's off the charts. If interest rates rise, so does the cost of servicing those astronomical levels of debt, which means raising taxes or maybe even having to cut government spending. For corporations, it'll mean earnings losses unless they can cover the higher costs of debt servicing with price increases passed on to their customers. Think about negative interest rates from a highly indebted government's perspective. Thurston Paulette, writing for Mises, makes this point, quote, If the central bank forces interest rates into negative territory, Running into debt becomes a profitable business, and financially ailing states and banks can reduce their debt burden at the expense of the creditors, end quote. In a word, they are trying to avoid pain, a fully avoidable level of pain that they caused. If the central banks and the governments in which they are part of had let the markets determine interest rates, none of this would have happened. They are out of ideas. As I mentioned before, negative interest rates is their Hail Mary pass, they have turned a 5,000-year-old logical, voluntary exchange market into a Frankenstein financial system. Generally speaking, centralizing anything under government is asking for trouble, which is why our founding fathers organized the country under a system known as federalism. The whole system was decentralized. The federal government was granted a few enumerated powers, and the states handled everything else. As the nation has aged, we have gone in the opposite direction more and more centralization in Washington, D.C., resulting in hundreds of unconstitutional federal agencies, which employ millions of unconstitutional federal employees, which manage and dictate regulations for over 300 million Americans. With that said, you will likely not be surprised to hear that, in my opinion, central banks are largely unnecessary. As I have argued already, the free market is fully capable of determining interest rates. Billions of people transacting voluntarily can determine the real rate of interest, we don't need no stinking central bank to do that. We don't need a Federal Reserve with a so-called dual mandate of full employment and 2% inflation. What does the Fed have to do with employment anyways? And why is 2% inflation a good thing for you and me? We'll deal with those questions in another episode. Back to my point. If central banks relinquish their hold on rate setting, they lose power. And as you know, once power is obtained, it's rarely relinquished. Jeff Dice, the president of Mises Institute, said, quote, Negative interest rates are the price we pay for central banks. The destruction of capital, economic and otherwise, is contrary to every human impulse. And I would add, every human instinct. Back to Dice. Civilization requires accumulation and production. Decivilization happens when too many people in a society borrow, spend, and consume more than they produce. No society in human history previously entertained the idea of negative interest rates. So like central bankers, we are all in uncharted territory now, end quote.
The level of desperation displayed and the level of willful negligence on the part of the central bankers is quite extraordinary. These central banks need to be dismantled before they destroy the world's economy. I will leave you with one of my favorite contra-thinkers on financial issues, author and commentator John Tamney. Quote, In short, readers should rejoice the Fed's latest flirtation with zero and negative interest rates, for both signaling the central bank's continued rush into total irrelevance. End quote. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.